Hello and welcome to another episode of EG Like Sunday Morning. I'm Piers Weiner, sitting in again for Jess this week, but not because he has done a bunk to the beach. No, this week, Jess is a guest. Jess, how are you? Uh, I'm all right, thank you. I'm feeling slightly uncomfortable sat in the difficult chair. I do prefer yeah. do prefer the easy chair. It's a lot less it is. pressure. I mean, you say it's the easy chair. I like to make out that it's incredibly difficult and I have to do a lot of hard work filling in for you. But no, it's 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 a joy, especially when we have as our other guest, E.T.'s editor, Sam McClary. Hello. Hello, Piers. Hello, Jess. Um, I'm, I'm sad that this is audio only because I wonder, Jess, if you have purposely sat in front of a stab film po- poster just to put Piers off. <laughs> well, this, I do this like is to in do case that. I try to take this job permanently, isn't it? It's like, this is what's going to come. <laughs> yeah, that's very, my, my very meta film within a film uh, stab mm. poster. <laughs> what's behind your head, Sam? That actually is a photo photograph taken by my husband when he was doing his A-levels, I think, of a, I think it's a minor. Um, it's very, no, it's very again, cool, actually. Because, because we only have audio, I feel the need to, to make it clear that that means somebody oh, yes. who works down the mines <laughs> and not a random child. Yeah. It's not that sort of photo. I just... <laughs> uh, it's what so... the people pay for. <laughs> why they tune in every Sunday to hear some random chat from the yeah. EG crew. I'm hoping that that uh, we over the course of several of these recordings, we'll, we'll gradually see a, a Lego Titanic taking shape in Sam's background. I think that would be a nice touch. Um, I started it yesterday on Saturday, mm-hmm. Jess, and I'm uh, very excited to watch it take take shape. Is it is it a Lego Titanic before the iceberg or or after the iceberg or do you have the option of both? It depends on what stage of the build you are, I think. Uh, oh. Jess, why yes. why are you in the difficult seat? Why am I in the What's difficult seat this week? So um, the there's been a lot of talk for for quite uh, quite some time, uh, decades in fact, about the possibility of review of the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954. Um, you know, it, it is closing in on 70 years. Uh, I think we can all agree that the world is probably a little bit of a different place now uh, to how it was uh, back in 1954. And I, I, as it happens, it hasn't even had an upgrade, has it, for 20 years? I mean, it's, it's... Uh, no, exactly. It's not. This is the first review it's going to be having in 20 years. And the, the government kind of buried this announcement a little bit uh, as part of a 41 uh, page anti-social behaviour action plan, which is a little bit of a strange and yeah. name for a, a place to sort of drop this announcement and but uh, the, the the law commission sort of followed through the following day on on what it's going to be doing so basically what um the aspiration is uh, is they're going to be looking at this uh, esteemed uh, septuagenarian uh, piece of legislation uh, and making it easier to understand uh, and more transparent uh, in order to attract more investment into uk commercial property which i think we can all agree sounds like a good good idea a noble aim um, it sounds like a so, great aim. Is there any detail of how they think that this should or could be done? Well, uh, so slowly uh, is, <laughs> is 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 one thing. So they're, they're aiming to get a consultation paper uh, together by December 2023 because these things take time and obviously they have to go to the various stakeholders and, and experts and, and, and uh, sort of look for their views and then start the sort of proper full consultation. So one thing that comes to mind for me is... Uh, as we get beyond the end of this year and into next year, uh, the political landscape hmm. uh, could be May shift. very different by the time we actually got 
a complete consultation and some recommendations. So this does have to be a little bit couched in the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, you do have to have a government with the will to try and implement these changes. And with the best will in the world, I don't think, sadly, the interests of commercial landlords and tenants uh, rank that high uh, on on the list of uh, important issues for for, for for voters. However, the kind of the reasoning, sort of the thinking behind this is to uh, rejuvenate our high, high streets. And I think that is something that people, the length and breadth of the country, can get behind. They, they, they want to see that in, in towns like, you know, I live in Bedford, we have vast uh, gaps on the high street where once we had multiple department stores. I think people do want that uh, to happen. So I think uh, anything that's, that's sort of geared towards uh, making it a little bit more straightforward for those shops and units uh, to be reoccupied or, or, or reused, yeah. I think could be something that, that if communicated correctly could get the full interest of government and, and be sort of brought to fruition. Um, so well, that, that's basically, part of the reason, one it, of the... tying it to that antisocial stuff, yeah. isn't it? To, to just Absolutely. give it a bit of a leg up the agenda. Yeah. Because you're right. Um, it, otherwise, it does seem a bit dry to the average voter. Whereas yeah. if it's connected somehow, even obliquely to people doing gnaws in the park benches, then um, then suddenly it gets a headline. Yeah. And the, the, the thing with the, the, the 54 Act, uh, and Guy Featherstonehall wrote a brilliant um, uh, historical piece setting its context of how it was enacted to uh, help boost the post-war economy and make it easier for commercial tenants to enjoy security of tenure uh, in the economic uh, climate that, that subsisted in the in the 50s, uh, which he has a, a far better grasp of than, than I do. So to dig that out in the archives, it was only about a month ago. But over the years, it has become... Uh, relatively easy for uh, landlords and tenants to contract out of the 1954 Act. So Mm. one of the problems that the Act has is that a significant number of people it should theoretically apply to have contracted out of it. And what kind of has resulted is it's just it's it's felt that it's just a little bit too complex and bureaucratic for the modern uh, modern day. Uh, And uh, that it's sort of felt uh, by the law society may be holding back um, businesses and high streets and and centres. Uh, we're hoping uh, that we're going to get some more information uh, from the Law Society. They're, they're, they're probably going to be writing for us in the next uh, week or two, and right. we'll be hearing uh, in the coming weeks and months from uh, lawyers who will be airing their views on, on this. Uh, Della Gilbert, uh, who is the, the chair of the Property Litigation Association and partner at Maples Teesdale, she, uh, she's aired the view that this that is a long overdue review. Uh, and uh, she she says that ensuring a streamlined and efficient framework for both landlords and tenants is essential for supporting the UK's economic growth and providing a level and fair playing field for business. Uh, and uh, the PLA are, hope, are looking forward to working with the, the, the government and, and helping to inform the review. review. And also Melanie Leach, um, chief exec of the British Property Federation, uh, she told us that uh, this outdated legislation has hindered town centre regeneration for years, and it's great to see government finally making good on on their 2020 promise to review it. She does make the point that ideally, a, a, an overarching review of the entire sort of legislative uh, screed around commercial tenancy legislation um, would uh, would be better. But obviously, government appetite and time—that's a, a difficult thing to to pull off. And um, I know uh, opinions in the profession do vary. Um, Guy, in his piece, he was sort of arguing 
that um, security of tenure is not really something that is is required as much as it was in in the 1950s, and the the the, the act could be done away with that way. Uh, whereas uh, I spoke with Alison Hardy uh, of Ashurst this week, and and she felt that it would be far more useful to look at the Landlord and Tenant Covenants Act of 1995, oh. which causes a lot of problem for uh, intra-group uh, assignments of tenancies. So, um, you know, the, there are people I think that that feel that the system works as it is, and people people know how it works. Uh, so there, there will be, I'm sure, a broad range of views, and it will be interesting to see how that takes shape in the consultation and what the law society ultimately decide. And uh, as you know, we'll be on top of it all the way, I'm sure, and no doubt we'll speak of this again. And uh, I guess, Jess, if people can't wait until December for the consultation, we'd be happy to hear from not just the legal community, but the, the landlord and tenant community as well about how they'd like to see the, yeah, the act change or, or stay stay the same. And they know exactly how to reach us um, through the va- various socials. Um, just email us or um, yeah, leave, leave a note on the on the podcast. We're, yeah, we're really keen yep. to understand what people want to see. There's another there's another element of the um, not particularly sexy, but very important this week, isn't there? I mean, business rates changes yesterday um, have a huge impact. But there was also last week the let me see if I can get this right. The non-domestic ratings bill, which has gone in, which is uh, cha- making changes to business rates. I mean, that again, it it all seems it it's very important, although the response, much like you're saying with the landlord and tenant changes are well, great, that's a start. You know, moving from five years to three years is a start. It's something that people have been calling for. But where's the rest? And like you were saying, you know, this with the landlord and tenant changes being promised in 2020, the business rates um, changes were promised before that, I think, 2019, there was a manifesto pledge. And yet, you know, are we seeing the changes that, that we need? And the responses to that have been varied. But Sam, what, what do you think about the... Um, the changes to business rates that we've seen yesterday what sort of impact is that having i think we're just seeing more cost aren't we yeah. being um being placed on on this sector whether you're the landowner or the um the property property user and i think what did they or the figures 1.4 billion pound mm. increase in in rates from from yesterday you know which at a time when um you know money is uh I say a little tight for quite quite a few people, quite a few businesses um, at, at the moment. It's just it's another layer of complication, another layer of, you know, things you need to wrap your head around um, to, to make it in this in this sector, isn't it? And, you know, while we like to be objective and talk about the the, the real world, um, at not the um, MTV program, but the, the actual real world at um, age showing my age. Yeah. Um, Cutting edge uh, contemporary <laughs> reference dropped in. <laughs> um, I know our readers, they know what it is. Um, you know, it is, it's a, it's a tough time for real estate right now, I think with all like big, these big numbers being thrown ar- yeah. around there. And it's, um, well, and it's getting, no, I, it's I getting feel tougher, like it... isn't it? Yesterday there was another announcement, well, not another announcement, but another change that's compounded pressure on, on real estate and added to those costs with the, the EPC changes, which yeah. you wrote about in your leader. I did indeed. And, you know, we do have to say that the the industry has had quite a long time to get ready for, <laughs> for, for this day um, coming. I, coming. So Five I, years, I, is it? The regulations, the, very, the, the regulations with a very long name. 
that that I think we, for ease we can just call the Mies regulations were were introduced in 2015. Okay, uh, now I joined I joined DG uh, in house uh, in March 2015 and I checked and we did a we did a piece about Mies in April of 2015 that I subbed so I've genuinely been reading and talking about Mies for the entirety of my time. EG and I, I think I I, um, I exhausted it's all I exhausted, about me's, isn't it? It's all I, about me's. That's the thing. I exhausted all of those early on. All about me's. <laughs> Why always me's? I I, I um, sadly. Surely the plural yet, is mice. <laughs> I I I've yet to to find the hook for for me's myself and Irene, but I I I do hope that at some point that will that will present itself. But um, you have Sam obviously. You know we we gave a, a massive warning about. The ticking time bomb of of the yeah. application of Mies to commercial property last year. We did back in sep- September, which of course I've reused um, in yesterday's leader because um, it's all about you know retrofitting stories to fit the the time. <laughs> yes. uh, I'm doing my bit for the for the planet there. It's, but, a, yeah. it's a grey day leader. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, but they're the, again they're they're really scary numbers. And you can read them and think, holy, holy, what's this? Um, it's all going wrong for real estate. But actually, um, me being me, trying to put a little bit of a positive spin on it. But, but let's go for the numbers, right? Because I think they are really important. So the research that we did last September showed that um, from April 1st, yesterday, 2023, there would be 119 million square feet of commercial real estate across the UK that would not um, meet that EPCE grade that it needs needs to have met from from yesterday. We did we used um, some of the data that we have in in um, EG Radius to find out you know what's an what's an average asking rent or um, average achieved rent. So how much how much um, income could that affect? Um, we calculated that that was two and a half billion pounds of rent that is poten- potentially at risk because. If you don't meet the EPC standard, you're legally not allowed to lease that space. How well that will be policed is a is another big big question. Of course, how do how do they know? Um, but then um, then we thought, well, actually, it's about more than just the rent because um, a building with no income is worth I don't know nothing minus nothing. Um, uh, so. If you look at the impact of this regulation from a value perspective, not just an income perspective, what would that look like? So 199 million square foot is about a hundred. Oh, sorry, 119 sorry million square foot is about 199 shards. Um, and I, the, so I thought, this is our, no, this is our long-established universal way of measuring real estate. I mean, it, it? yes, it tells sharp, you yeah. everything you need to know about the scale of this. That football pitches were not a big enough unit of measure. <laughs> they were. We had to we had to go all the way to shard to, to even <laughs> provide some ma- some means of, of, it is, of visualizing. It's staggering, isn't it? Because I read that in your leader, and I actually had to sit there and and try and visualize it, try to actually imagine it it's on like the landscape. It's like a forest of shards. It's essentially a Manhattan, isn't it? Would that be it probably equivalent? is a Manhattan, yeah, yeah. And so then I thought, well, hey, look, I'll pretend I know um, how to be a valuer. What's the shard worth? Billion quid? Um, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it is. Um, let's say it is. That's a fact now. It's been said on this fact. podcast, so that's now fact. 
So um, again, I'm not great at maths, but one billion times 199, quite a lot of money, close to 200 billion. But all of that stock isn't really going to be shard quality, is it? So then I thought, well, actually, maybe the more um, sensible thing to do is look at what the average capital value of uh, office spaces, because most of this is going to be office space. And that ranges between 250 and 350 pounds per square foot. So then then you do the proper maths and you get to 29.7 billion at the bottom end of that scale or 41.6 billion at the top end of that scale. Let's take the the mean of that as about 35 and a half billion quid of value that potentially got wiped off commercial real estate yesterday plus 2.5 billion pounds of rental income plus we then ran a story about um, how much it would cost to upgrade yeah. any of those buildings that um, don't meet EPCE, and that's 14 billion. So where are we at now? 30, 35 and a half plus 14, that's 50, plus 2.5, 52.5 billion pounds of cost or value destruction. I mean, it puts those business rates into, into perspective, doesn't it? That's, I mean, that's a massive yeah. one day hit. But, on April Fool's Day of the, all days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People, people are hoping, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's the other problem because of the way that the ownership of that sort of property is weighted. It's not big institutions that are owning that. We're talking about mom and pop shops. We're talking about families. We're talking about small businesses that own their own premises. I mean, that's a massive hit. Yeah, yeah. But I kind of think, and I, you know, I don't want to disparage any of those mom and pop owners, but a lot of the big firms have to understand the importance of doing something to, you know, mm. mitigate climate change because their investors, their shareholders tell them you better do that. Otherwise, we're walking. The mom and pops aren't being pushed as hard on on that. And maybe a big bill or a loss of in, income, a loss of value is exactly what is needed to make those who think, oh, it doesn't doesn't affect me like no one's poking me hard enough maybe this is the big the big poke that is needed for those people who just haven't got it yet and also it needs it needs to be a big poke as well because this is just the first step isn't it that the the tip of of a much bigger iceberg yeah um, with those other epc deadlines and, and target points coming in i mean there's been some talk that that maybe those will be shifted that the because there isn't the legislative weight behind it yet that they could be kicked up um, into the long grass is, is that something that you feel is likely or do you think that, that those are things that are coming down the line and fast do you, do you know what i hope it isn't likely because of that yeah. very reason i've just voiced you know don't move the goalposts and and big swathes of this industry do want to make the changes a lot of them already are i was at um lunch with derwent um this week and they've already talked about how you know they're completely compliant across their portfolio for yesterday and they're um most of the way there for for b and still got a little Mm. bit of a way to go for um 2030 when it uh, hopefully is is b but you know, it, give, it gives them things to to work before. It focuses the the mind. And if we have a government that you know fannies around with things and doesn't you know um doesn't stand by a decision, then you don't know where you are. 
And then it becomes incumbent on our industry, which I do think it actually is doing quite well to just go ahead and do it anyway. It does rely on enforcement. And the thing about these uh, these MIS uh, implications is they are going to be enforced by local authority, mm. local weights and measures authorities. And, you know, you, you do wonder how well equipped those local authorities are going to be uh, enforcing these requirements. But, you know, I, I think there has been government funding to, to, to help them gear up. And I, I believe that there have been some some authorities that have appointed dedicated MIS compliance officers. But um, I think they might be quite busy after after this weekend, but but they're going to they're going to get very busy uh, those MIS compliance officers if they're if they're on their own in the years ahead. Because I think the cost of upgrading to to get an ease is not normally too bad. Or quite often it's it's upgrading your lighting systems, a little bit of insulation, yeah, to 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 to, to get it to, to get it past that threshold. But but when we get to 2030. Uh, you've got that cost of trying to get to grade B. That's mm-hmm. that's really when it's going to hit. Uh, and the other thing that's important to bear in mind is that this is England and Wales. Scotland is not quite uh, the same stage, although I think it's anticipated that something similar will come. Uh, we've, we've got a piece coming up that, that will look at the differences there. Really interesting as well on the enforcement stuff, because that we looked at that when we were doing um the piece back in September when we're trying to figure out you know the financial implications of this and when we found that you know for for this year for yesterday that the rental implications were potentially 2.5 billion across that 119 million square foot the cost of the enforcement fines or you know for oh you've been naughty boy or girl here's your fine was um 45 million quid across the whole of that space and it's like there's something there's something wrong here like if you really want to okay or maybe there's not maybe the threat of um losing the the rent is bigger than the threat of a a a fine I don't know but it just didn't they didn't those numbers didn't seem to make much sense to my tiny little brain we're not quite done with it there are there are implications and there will of course be unforeseen sort of consequences as a result of all this. We have a piece in the magazine this week talking about what MIS means for rent reviews. So obviously mm. there, are, there are some tenancies of premises that aren't up to scratch that will carry on for you know quite a few years and they've got a rent review coming up and rent reviews are based on valuations that are based on hypotheticals and if the property is unlettable in the high in in, in actuality yeah. how does that impact value for rent reviews that so we've had articles sort of talking about what it means for dilapidations um so there's, there's all kinds of things um and also you know what entering into leases now obviously you're you're anticipating requirements for great higher epc grades four years seven years down the line you've got to factor all that into your thinking mm. and the other thing that ties Ties, I haven't heard anyone talking about this, but ties EPCs in with the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954 is one of the major grounds for opposing a lease renewal under the 1954 Act is, is an intention to redevelop. And with some of these properties, it, it, uh, there might be a greater requirement really for, for landlords yep. to, 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 to redevelop their premises to, in order to, to meet these ever sort of higher EPC targets. So that, that might have to play into how the 54 Act is is reformed and, and reviewed. There's so much, isn't there? It's all to, connected. 
to under there's so much to understand and get your head around and I mean thank goodness for everyone out there that they've got us I don't just I don't mean the three of us I mean I mean eg and that we have got a ton of that um information ton of the great articles Jess that you you've talked about in the in the course of this conversation that people can go and dig yeah, into just search well, for me search for me search, you'll find search. all the headlines all the puns and more and importantly all the information all the info and you know we'll we'll do our best to bring that bring that together and then um we've also got coming um coming in the summer um a new piece of work that we're doing within um the the data element of of eg to help people be able to see what the epc of a of a building is understand more yeah. about um, what they're doing, DEC certificates as well. We don't talk about them very, very often, but also, um, you know, just giving um people who are trying to do their due diligence, understand their buildings, a bit more of that insight into the sustainability aspects of of their of the building as well. So, you know, there's lots of stuff for people to really get their head around it uh, in our wonderful, wonderful EG. It does seem there seems to be this this feeling now that the the industry is in many ways like at least a step if not two steps ahead of the where the government is here i mean this week we also had the um the the much hyped green day announcements which uh, has now been changed to the energy security announcements because it wasn't particularly green um and this this was it was a total of 3000 pages 40 documents more than 40 documents in total including a response to chris skidmore's mission zero report um all of which the government had been forced to publish by the High Court because there wasn't enough detail in what they'd previously published. And what they've now come out with is is something, it's, it's, there's definitely more detail. I mean, there's thousands of pages. But from what the industry is saying and what other people are saying is there's there's still no real agenda. There's no, there's no route. I mean, Melanie Leach said, um, you know, it was another statement of intent when what was needed was urgent action. And this this feeling of of getting words as opposed to actual firm commitment you know, on a day when when those epc regulations kick in an actual sort of solid thing happens and then you've got this sort of the, the future stuff feeling ever more nebulous the labor shadow climate change secretary which is weird because he he doesn't shadow anything he's like the opposite of a vampire instead of <laughs> casting no shadow he's a shadow that no one has cast um, but ed Miliband, he he said that the entire output of of the green day was weak and feeble um, a groundhog day of re-announcements i think um, that's quite mean to talk about a, a american band in that way perhaps, but per- maybe that's perfectly... why they changed the name pierce maybe the you know how like all those bands that have complained that trump has used their music at rallies maybe green exactly. day wrote a letter saying don't use our name on this I think you're right. I think I think it was because they were just they were just waiting for somebody to to make the comment of do we have the time to listen to them whine about nothing and everything all at once, um, which is a particular favourite Green Day lyric of mine. Do you do you have any favourite Green Day lyrics or songs, either of you? Um, I don't. I did have the album, of course, because I'm of a month of the right age with the cartoon on the front, probably oh, yes. drawn by Jess actually. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm not very good on lyrics unless it's Salt and Pepper, and I can probably do quite a few of those don't ask i'm with i'm with you Piers. i'm full on old school you, you you just took me back to my sixth form right right away there and i think <laughs> do you do you have me have the time to listen to me whine about and all that it's, it's kind of a good strap line for eg like sunday morning as well so, so. <laughs> and the answer is yes yes you do <laughs> yes, have you the do. time and the inclination but i think you you make a you make and so does ed miliband a really good point don't you that 
you know, there is, and and Mel, that this is just uh, Melanie, that this is just I'd like more chat, more more yeah. guff. No, no, you know, all was it all talking no trousers or or yeah. have whatever the phrase is and. And, and again, frustration with that, because Chris Skidmore was being interviewed and he's he's a he's a loyalist. He's a conservative MP. You know, he was, he he delivered the report for the government. But you could feel it was like, saying, yes, they've they've accepted a lot of the points that I've made. There's not very much in the way of delivery. You know, the, the feeling of frustration. It's funny, isn't it? Because don't we have a government that is meant to be focused on um, improving productivity? Yeah. I know there's an there's an irony in there somewhere isn't isn't there but th- again thank goodness for big parts of this industry who are as you said at the, begin- the beginning peers are, are streets ahead of of what government yeah. is doing and just just moving on you know we're seeing more and more um people in our industry accepting neighbors as a as as a um, as a tool and really wanting to understand the energy in in use um you know there are people who you know have been ready for um epcs and are updating their um portfolios there are people lots of people spending a lot of time thinking oh well how you know if there are buildings that aren't fit for purpose how do we make them fit for purpose and how do we how do we deal with this whole embodied carbon situation that nobody can really get their their head around you know how do we as a real estate sector um produce enough energy um through renewables on uh, on and across our estate and what is the solution there there are you know there are big thinkers in in the industry and I, I you know I of all people give it a good kicking from from time to time but there are smart people in real estate and I think more and more often there are people who care as well actually about yeah. wanting to make a difference and also their their timelines tend to be far more long term than the next election which is remarkably close now as well as all of the the unpleasant things that happened yesterday uh albeit some of them necessary um it was also april fool's day either of you have uh, any particularly fond memories of an april fools that that went particularly well at eg well at eg or elsewhere i I do remember a series of articles we did at eg one year that just got completely out of hand and ended up taking up the whole of the features section and and resulted in at least one leading developer phoning up and asking for um for for a connection with uh, a completely made up person who I can't remember it was an anagram of April Fools it it was terrible it went on for far too long much like this sentence but yeah <laughs> um well we did have a very good April Fool yesterday uh, I I hope that people spotted that it was an <laughs> a- April Fool about um our friend um Mr Richard Croft actually listing himself on the IPSX, um, uh, which, uh, uh, yeah, is, is a lot of fun. It might happen. It might not actually be that foolish. You never know. I'm, he's I'm an entrepreneur. He's a smart man. Yeah. I mean, David Bowie, didn't he securitize himself? I mean, it's, why not? Yeah. Why not? He probably could do it in the metaverse, couldn't he? Who, I mean, I'm not very techie. You'll probably, <laughs> I'll probably tell that. And my other favourite, Piers, was um, in a previous life at Caterer, Catering hotel keeper, I wrote a story on April Fool's Day about the checked trousers that chefs wore being um, banned because <laughs> um, you couldn't see the like the, if they wiped their hands on them, you couldn't see the filth. So the health and safety executive saying they had to wear white trousers. <laughs> 
um which uh, like your example i've got a lot of a lot of um interaction people saying this is outrageous outrageous <laughs> i was like yes it is because it's not mm. real <laughs> jess any any from you uh i did do i did an april fool's feature uh one previous year when the when the magazine landed on, on april fool's where i brought together a, a, a lot of kind of stupid sounding stories that we'd had on press releases that were actually real from and and uh so I did the kind of the April Fools that aren't but I did include <laughs> one I did include one fake one in amongst the supposedly real ones but I can't was actually it, was now, it the most plausible? seven years on it, it probably was the most plausible <laughs> uh, but uh, I imagine there have been many more Sam in uh what is fast approaching our 165 years of publishing yes can you believe it may will be 165 165 and this is no fall um so we are here's here goes my call out to everyone who's listening and everyone who's listening to pass on to people who um might not listen to podcasts or use the internet or anything like that but we are looking uh, not that i'm judging or be able to feed themselves yeah yeah we are we are looking um to connect with anyone who has been a customer a subscriber of vg for you know if, if it's 165 years in your um if you're still alive amazing um but if it's been in your family perhaps for 165 years and we'd love to talk to you um however long you've been a um subscriber to to eg get in touch with us tell us tell us how long you've been you've been with us um because i would love to connect with you and um uh yeah sort of share some of those stories in in a, a bit of coverage around our 165th birthday and it's it's so lovely to hear already um some people have been in in touch you know we've got people who've been reading for over 50 years um and and are still with us not you know still with us as a customer as a as a reader which is is so great and i think over that period they must have seen such amazing transformation in this mm. in this sector um so yeah very keen to connect so you know how to reach me um through the ver- those various channels but we'd love to hear from you well thank you very much um and, and here's to another 165 years but that's all we've got time for for today <laughs> so from sam and jess bye-bye bye-bye it's almost epc like sunday morning not eg like sunday morning isn't oh, it oh it's good it's good we might yeah. use that there you go. <laughs> And from me, goodbye. Or rather, in the words of Green Day, I hope you had the time of your life, or possibly even good riddance.